listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Well, I sit here across the podcasting mic in envy today of you, Bracken. In what regard? Oh, that Patagonia Houdini jacket you are wearing is Mm -hmm. just the coolest, and I want it. Well, Kirk, I wore it for you today. Thank you. It's brand new. That can't be... That can't be nice on the uh, audio front. Move your arms around so the people can hear it. <laughs> They're not the quietest jacket that no, exists. Not quiet. This baby, I got at REI. You ready for this? Yeah. $31. Oh. I don't even need it. Couldn't you buy another one? Well, I couldn't <laughs> have. And I'll explain why. So I went there to get a running rain jacket. I wanted one that, like, I have, I have two of these. And then I have a nice one that is really, really, really minimal. But it's so minimal and nice that I don't want to wear it on a daily basis because I don't want to snag it on a tree. Like it's the lighter and nicer they are, mm-hmm. the more fragile they are. So I don't, I almost never wear it. It's like a race only type deal. So I wanted one that was a little bit more um, robust and one from, they had one from John G on sale on a big sale. So I went to get that and then there's a whole rack of Patagonia Houdini jackets, but they're all like between 71 and like 120 or whatever it was. And then I went over to the Mm -hmm. women's department should shock no one, but (laughs) looking for Lisa (laughs) and then sitting there on the rack labeled as a woman's small. I picked it up to see if it'd be good for Lisa was a men's medium mislabeled for $31. Unbelievable. Is the only one. So I searched all the rest to see what I could find, and there was nothing else. That's incredible. That's almost like fate, if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah, and right away, I thought, this is a Kirk color right here. Some some woodland. Oh, it's just, yeah, I just, I have a, I bought a camo one, like a black camo, and mm-hmm. I paid full price for it. I was like, I need that Patagonia Houdini jacket. And I have five of them, I think. Okay. I have red, green, black, camo, maybe four. Anyways. The camo one, I've had nothing but good luck with these things. And the camo one, the zipper broke on like week two. And so when I run, it just opens itself up every time, every time. So I never wear it. And that's the only one with a little flavor I have. And so I'm jealous of your statement today. But um, we don't need to talk about – we don't need to talk about your fashion uh, sense. We need to talk about your turkey trot back in – somebody trotted on Thursday. How are we feeling? Grateful, Kirk. Like I said beforehand, it had been three years since I was healthy enough to run this. Two of the years I signed up and didn't get to go. Last year was my year of lost registrations. I think we had talked at some point that I was like $1,100 in the hole of non-refundable race plans that I just didn't even get to make it to. And so it was a obnoxious year, but I arrived healthy this year. And so I drove all the way to Janesville, Wisconsin to run this thing. And it was glorious. Well, your username today says slow AF, which has me curious. Mm-hmm. You sent me 
you squeaked under 29 minutes, I believe. I saw 28 and change, right? 59. 38K. Did I see that correct? 2859. So what does this tell you? What does this tell you? Say so basically you went out and you ran 545 pace, let's call it just yep. over, right? 546, something 545. like that. Um now in super shoes, I believe, is yep. what you had said you were gonna go with. Did you stick to yep. that? Sure did. Okay. So in good in the fitness. Didn't want to the last time I you woke like up good. and I grabbed the alphas <laughs> off the wall. But you've practiced self-restraint. Yeah. Well, well, I think this can be a, uh, sort of a teachable situation for our listeners. You express a little disappointment in your peer runability. I think you've been doing a bit. You had some setbacks a little bit with injury. You went into high rocks with Jack, and you hadn't run for like 10 days leading up or something. Your running isn't quite where you want it to be. Yeah. But you're healthy-ish at the moment. So... You know, in your best form, maybe you'd run 20 or more seconds per mile faster, not even in peak fitness, right? In an ideal world. So, like, what does a guy like you do? What do you do right now if you're, like, a little slower than you care to be with stay power? Uh, you pout first. You pout about it. And then oh, you yeah. remind yourself that you're super lucky to just be out there. And then you start yeah. digging into the the information. And you realize that you have the fitness that you've earned. And there's... That's generally the case with us. Usually, unless you're overcooked, you get what you put in. And that's exactly where I'm sitting. So it's not like I've done all this crazy work and I'm sitting here scratching my bald head like, what? where did I go wrong? It's I put in a minimal amount of work in order to stay healthy and progress fitness a little bit. And I got this yeah. level of fitness out of it. So it's it's not depressing two days later because it's... I mean, it's it's a fine place to be for me. It's not my fastest time I've run there. Uh, in fact, it's my slowest time I've run there. It ties for my slowest time ever there. But at no point during it was it miserable, if that makes sense. So it's not like I was mm. tapped and I've done just nothing to try to be good at that type of thing. So it, it tells me that like always, you're six to eight weeks of good training away from knocking like 10 to 15 seconds per mile off, which is what happens when you're not super fit. You can knock 10 to 15 seconds per mile off. I think that tells you if you went and hopped into a road race, you'd be, I don't know, 1650 right now. I bet you somewhere around there. And that was probably you'd the go run 525 to 530 pace. Yeah, I ran 1650 like four on a cross country course by myself in that workout in like August. And so it shows I haven't really improved my top end one bit in the last three months. And then you look back at training and realize, yeah, you didn't yeah, but think, work that at all. So that's fine. That's okay. Yeah, but think about this. Like you actually have not been – I feel like you've actually kept what's going on with you a little closer to the chest as of late. Mm -hmm. Like we used to share everything about how our training was going, how we were feeling, if anything was popping up. Both of us have kind of – we haven't talked about it as much. I haven't either. Um but you ran into an issue where you're like, I know this is going to set me back if I don't address it right now. And you basically, how long did you go without running? Just in the last month, you went like 10 days, two weeks. I don't remember what it was. Yeah. So Michigan race happened and I came out of it and said, I've taken like four days off, but I'm ready to get training. Well, I ran day one, no issue. Day two, no issue. And then walking around, I started feeling my quad in the exact same spot where I had the tendinopathy last fall, almost to the day. 
And mm-hmm. so I ran no more times until High Rocks from there. So I ran twice from Michigan to High Rocks, which was like three weeks. Right. So I, I <clears throat> what just, I'm getting at is then you I, just started to guess. It, it turns out I'm okay. Like I got to High Rocks and ran five miles on concrete and was fine and then ran this race and was fine. But it took that to prove to myself I'm not injured. It just You just happen to feel something in the same spot where you used to have an injury. But because now I'm like yeah. hyper gun shy on injuries, I just shut it down for a month. That's how I get when my shins start acting up on me. Yeah. Now I just get gun shy and I back off early just because I've learned those lessons in the past. And what would I say if I were your coach? I'd be like, we run to tolerance for these next few months, right? And just listen as we go. And most likely come January, February, you're going to go be in a completely different place. It's just like, I always feel like when you return to running after a little bit of time off, you have like two weeks of like rust busting where Mm -hmm. you feel inefficient, you feel clunky. You're like, oh my God, I lost so much. And then like the flip of like a, like a switch, it changes. And then suddenly you're going to go run in like two weeks and go tempo at that pace and feel comfortable. And you'd be like, where did that come from? And it's just like, every time I take a breather, whether it's injury or recovery, even if I'm cross training, I have that like two ish week of just like, Oh my God, what happened? And then I'll just start boom, 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 taking the ladder up, 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 up with my fitness, not even knowing it, you know, putting my shoes on and being like, I don't know if today's going to be a good day. And then suddenly you're mid workout and it's there. I think you're probably just like a little bit before that happens. If you can be consistent. That's what I think. Yeah, I think so. So I ran with Lisa a bunch this week. I ran over 30 miles for the first time in like six weeks. Uh, I'm fine. I just, I had to know I was fine. And and I've talked about it on here a bit, but I'm so tired of announcing race plans and training plans and intentions of what I'm going to do and not arriving there that I'm just not talking about any of it until I, I cross the finish line. Yeah. So that's same kind of thing with the training. It's, I have a lot of plans right now, but there's just like no sense even saying it until they come to fruition. Yeah, I'd be doing the same thing. I'm still figuring that out myself too. Mm-hmm. My my training week, um, and even today, this freaking I got a tooth pulled on Wednesday, and I know I griped about it on our Thanksgiving episode, but like the cold air, it was like negative, I don't know, ten with the wind chill this morning. Like I can't breathe in and out with the cold air because it just zips me. And that impacts, so I've been stuck on the treadmill going up like three out of my last four runs, which is getting under my skin, but I'm thankful yeah. I can still run. Do you like the big yeah. gaping hole I showed you before we started recording? It's There's nothing there. That was a big hole. So in summation, I All felt right. sluggish. My cadence was slow. It felt mechanically costly, but at no point did I feel like mm. cardiovascularly in trouble. I just felt tired start to finish and that's the kind of thing that improves a whole lot quicker than cardiovascular fitness does so it's it, it's fine yeah. it's the kind of thing that if in january february i'm still because that's about threshold pace for me i would say 545 right now if my threshold is still 545 in 2024 i'm in trouble there's not much racing at a high level that can be done off that it's got to be like 520 or under so if i'm still there i'm in trouble but it also is one of those situations where like in just two to three weeks, it'd probably be 10 seconds faster. And in six to eight, we'll see. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not worried yet, but it was, it was sobering to just go and not break stride for five miles and see exactly what that does to you. Cause everything I'm doing, even like, like Michigan, I probably didn't run more than 30 of the same stride in a row ever. 
So this was right. This was illuminating. Yeah, back in the day, if OCR was your focus, uh, you could get away with 545 shape and go out and stand on podiums. And now it's very much not the case. In fact, hybrid, what's very interesting for me with the hybrid space is twice in the last week, I've had people reach out to me, not in the endurance world, not a quintessential runner or an OCR or, or a hybrid athlete, and send me a, sent me a high rocks link and said, have you ever heard of this or done one of these? Mm. Question mark. It's reaching people that aren't even looking for it, like a gym rat who now is curious, one guy who power lifts in the gym and does a little running. And it's funny, but I think that the hybrid – we're not going to go down this rabbit hole today, but that the hybrid space is like getting a lot of traction. When I start seeing people reach out that weren't looking for it, mm -hmm. that tells me that it's doing something right. So it's like everybody knows what CrossFit is now, whether they want to or right. not. I feel like hybrid's on its way, you know? Two things before we move on then. First, Joe Skipper ran his first high rocks. He's a world-class triathlete, Ironman distance, and uh, mm. had like a, a two, I don't know, 17-minute sled pull and then a seven-minute farmer carry and like a 14-minute wall ball. Just really ran into like that rough comeuppance that happens in your first high rocks when you come from an endurance side. And so it's interesting to see that a world-class, legit, I think he's been top five at Worlds. Uh, endurance athlete came over and tried it, which would never have happened back in the day. So it's cool to see that happen. I respect that. I do too. I think uh, I think Mister I think Mister Nick Simmons, if he could get back into training, he would be a he would put himself in prime position. That's a guy I'd like to see come hit it. Prime position to what? Um, make a YouTube video about it. <laughs> I heard that he's just so little. <laughs> Like when you see him in person, he's yeah, just he's, so short and he's all, he was always built like a <clears> tank, but there's just levers matter in high rock. Second thing I just, to go back to the race, just to put people's mind at ease about what can happen with your fitness two weeks prior to the Michigan race, which was now like five weeks ago, I ran three by two mile at five thirty pace and it felt on, it was a 60 second rest in between. Wow. So a big workout. Yeah. But it <clears> felt <throat> like a threshold ish workout. So I went three, six miles of 530 pace down to five miles of 545 pace. And that 545 pace cost me much more in five weeks. So just the kind of little swings you can have that if you're a little bit off, you can have a pretty drastic result in the negative. And so for anyone out there that runs mm -hmm. into that, like I've had this minor setback and suddenly my fitness is just crap. Not that my fitness is crap, but that it's regressed 15 seconds per mile. It'll come back just as quickly. No need to panic. No glass half full. Exactly. Five weeks yeah. to degrade 15 seconds a mile, probably five weeks to progress right back to that with consistency. So I agree with you. All right. Well, um, last week we did a Thanksgiving episode and uh, said everything we were thankful for. We took a quick breather from our Q&A series. We have chipped away at our Q&As, but we have uh, more in the cache that we still need to explore now, don't we, Bracken? We do. Let's dive. Should we do that? Should we just dive right in today? That's it. 15-minute preamble. Dive right in. <clears throat> um, all right. I only have one more screenshot, and then I these are like personal messages, and then I believe we have a bunch that came through the Running Public IG that we haven't gotten to yet. So after I read this one, this will be the last personal message one in my, my folder here. So this comes from uh, Brett T. Rex, Brett Milks. He's a uh, 
let's call him. What would you call him? He's the guy that runs around. He runs in a Tyrannosaurus Rex outfit at uh, Spartans. He's a very notable Does figure really? in the community. Anyways, he chimes in once in a while. You know this guy? You've never seen this? I've seen his Instagram handle. I didn't know that he runs in a T-Rex costume. Oh, yeah. You got to love that. I mean, he competes, and then I think he hangs out in his T-Rex costume afterwards. Things like that. Anyways, he says, quick question. Did you guys do an episode on how to train legs when you're at the gym to become a better runner? Okay. That's all he left it at that. And I figured we would just chat that out for three to five minutes because we haven't talked about it in quite some time. So how to train legs when you're at the gym to become a better runner, as vague as it gets. You didn't know that this was going to trigger something in me. Oh, God. But I've had a a semi-trend happening recently of people reaching out either with questions or to preach at me about... Uh, some trend in how to basically biohack yourself to run faster. And one of the most common denominators in that was uh, gym work that I don't have to be talking about running as much because we undersell strength work. Anyways, I, I, I have a stance on this that I'm fairly firm on, and it's actually going to lean towards the negative pessimistic side on this stance just to drive home the point that I think we all need to hear. And that is that unless you are severely underdeveloped strength wise, you are not going to get faster in the gym. And if you are, it's going to be very, very small amounts of improvement. But what you are going to do is become more powerful, more durable, more resilient, and it's going to allow you to train harder and longer and more frequently, which will then make you faster. But do not listen to people who say, Run your best 5K by adding in deadlifts or run your best marathon with no, with only running twice per week by hitting a ton of kettlebell swing. Like that, that is nonsense. Anyone who has done that has done that despite their training, not because of their training. All right. So that is my very clear stance on this is that lifting, if you're not a sprinter, will not necessarily make you notably faster. It will just allow you to do all the other things more often, which will then make you faster. When was I the fastest in my life? Let's say 18 to 20 years old. I was the (laughs) fastest miler of my life. I was running. I'm getting close again. Don't get me wrong, especially on the 5K front. But granted, I'm older, twice the age, whatever. Uh, You want to know how much... Leg strength work I did back then, Bracken. How much? Zero. Zero? I didn't. Zero. Didn't touch lower hemisphere until after I got out of college. To be faster, I could not agree more with you. The durability, the subjectivity of it starts to happen when you're on your feet longer. But does does getting faster... Like, is doing squats going to make you faster at a 50K? Like, faster in quotes? No, I don't think so. But if it allows you to stay healthy to do the training required and get you to the start line ready mm-hmm. to go, absolutely. The other thing, the one thing, and I've talked about this once on another podcast, and I don't care what lower body leg strength work you're doing. I really don't. I use it as a stimulus to add in fatigue to those legs to have a very predictable taper into a race. So if I'm hammering the legs and I'm used to running under duress with fatigued legs from strength work, and then I lighten that stimulus, you know, seven to 14 days out, 
I know my legs are going to snap because I haven't. I, it's part of my taper removing. Snap is in pop, not as in crack. In the, so to speak. Yeah, correct. As okay. in bam, fast, woo. Anyways, so there's also a powerful tool in just layering it in as a point of fatigue, just like you're running, and then removing stimulus when you care about uh, tapering or executing an A race. Like pulling that stimulus can be a very powerful way, just like reducing mileage can to predicting fresh legs. And so. That's a whole side of the coin we don't really talk about. No matter what your strength work is you're doing, it can be used as just general fatigue, uh, which I think is powerful in itself. No matter what it is, squats, lunges, deadlifts, I don't care. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the only way it makes you faster in a race purely from a actual race performance standpoint outside of allowing you to do more training is that you have less chance of breaking down as the race goes on. So in that 50K example... You may not be any faster through 30K because it hasn't changed your running metrics, but you just may not break down because you don't have as many imbalances and you don't have to compensate in your stride and you're just stronger through your whole body. And so you don't take the beating the same way. And then as a result, you actually are faster at the end because you're not degrading. It hasn't made you faster. It just kept you from going slower. But in terms of how to train it, I don't think that there's a wrong way to train your lower legs because anything is better than nothing. We've talked about, uh, we've had specific episodes where we really like three by fives. I just had a conversation with someone about this. Why not five by five? I personally have this belief, and this is not based in anything I've read. This is just pure anecdote in working with hundreds of athletes for you know 15 years, that the difference in how strong and powerful you get between a set of three by fives and a set of five by fives is marginal. If you're in the powerlifting world, it probably matters a lot more. But if for a runner, for what we need, the difference between three by five and five by five from a power output standpoint is marginal, but the difference in fatigue is very big. And so those final two sets, the juice isn't worth the squeeze for me. In that it, those final two sets are probably my differentiator between being able to run 40 miles a week and 60 miles a week. If I'm doing three by five or five by five, mm. or being able to hit my next quality or not, or two days later, being able to hit 60 mile long run versus only 10. So I think you're going to get most of the bang for your buck from the first, maybe even two sets. I think you get away with two by five, but hitting some three by five or three by three are just easy, simple work in the gym is the safest way to go. I would stay away from hit training and a ton of Metcon and high rep stuff because as a runner, it's it's only going to break you down a little bit. I would stick to really just pushing hard against weight early on. Yeah. You just kind of led me into what I was going to uh, pick up with, which was we are so catabolic in nature with running so many reps. You go for an eight mile run, you take 10,000 steps, right? That's 10,000 reps of the run motion. We need to counterbalance that with very low reps, very high weight to get anabolic nature as an offset. So I think the endurance athlete is the last person who should be doing sets of 15, even sets of 12 might be high range, right? To cap it there. We need to be doing low reps, high weight, counterbalance the catabolic nature of running. And then I do think, and then let's move on from this is if you're going to over speed train, Save your lower body work for after that day because you want to be working efficiently. Where I plug in my lower body work is like if I'm going to work threshold effort or pace and over, if I have a tempo run, if I have a long run, great. 
let me do it on fatigued, slightly sore and damaged legs. But when it starts coming to like 5K pace and faster work, just make sure you hit you're, you're setting yourself up to hit that workout without actual sore like hamstring glute insertion or anything that's going to hinder your ability to open up and run efficiently. But if you're going to go grind, long intervals, threshold sessions, tempo, cutdowns, progression runs, fine. Let a little fatigue in there. Um, that's how I break down my sessions anyways. Hit the overspeed training fresh. Anything else, fine. I couldn't agree more. That's it. And I would say that to mm -hmm. clarify, heavy means difficult. <clears throat> There's no weight associated with it. There's no number you need to be hitting early on. It's just what's difficult for you to push against, difficult but manageable. That's what's going to drive the positive change in your body. You don't have to worry about weight. You can get on the Smith machine. Get on there and just safely push against mm -hmm something that's hard to move. Get on hip press. I don't care if you don't want to get under a barbell. Do something that just allows you to push hard against something. And that's going to improve your durability as a runner. I say whatever weights make those veins pop out in your neck. Then you know you've gotten there. You're like, and you know, you just start looking kind of crazy. Then you, then, you know, grunting is a good indicator as well that you've gone heavy. Made it different. And I went heavy a few times this morning. Um, <laughs> before my workout <laughs> tell me more <laughs> um all right should we open up these q a questions uh do you want me to handle this what do you want to do here because i don't know what you and lisa covered together when i was um out yeah just handle it and if we've if you start reading it and we and i think we hit it i'm just gonna say next okay this is for 11 weeks ago so we oh i hope we hit Hopefully these we hit this this is from shelby I have a question for the shoe guru, Bracken. Does this ring a bell? No, but it rings my ego up. <laughs> I have an athlete who was born with an extra muscle in her Achilles. Therefore, she cannot run in spikes. I had her switch to the endorphins in track, and she had no Achilles problems. We were wondering what she should wear for cross country. The endorphins should still work, but we're worried about when it's muddy or wet. Should she get the trail version? What would you recommend? Thank you. Well, I'll tell you what, <laughs> this was in August and cross country is long gone. So Shelby, I am so sorry. The floor is yours, Bracken. I want to say we messaged her individually early on. If we didn't, Shelby, I am extremely sorry. Uh, I would be curious to know more about what this extra muscle is doing that negatively impacts the ability to wear spikes, <clears throat> but you can still wear shoes. I don't, I don't know if it's a drop thing. I don't know if it's a a comfort thing. I, I don't I don't know what the actual issue is. But if shoe if the endor I assume she means the endorphin pros. If endorphin pros works or yeah. regular shoe works, but a spike doesn't, then I would just find a a trail or like fell racing shoe that mirrors that something with lugs on it, mm -hmm. like a an Innovate X Talon or a VJ or try to find some some middle ground there's like that uh hoka makes uh uh an evo xc racer which might not be bad but you you yeah. could i would go into the territory of maybe like a solomon pulsar soft ground it's like a seven ounce shoe with good teeth on it but still has the cushioning of a road racing shoe so i would start looking at trail racers as the next option the endorphin trail shoe would be fine it is a little beefier and heavier and maybe that's all you're able to use if that's what you're able to use. But uh, strip down trail racers would be where I would start. Yeah, I ran in the Endorphin Edge, I believe. Is that what the name of it is? Mm -hmm. Their trail shoe. 
Um, I ran in that for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and oh, it's, did. it's pretty tanky. I wouldn't want to be. I wouldn't want to be running. I like the shoe a lot for longer stuff. I would not want to be racing cross country in high school or any level with that shoe. It's too much. I agree with you. Strip down racer. The Hoka, if you can find the Evo Jaws or their Evo XC, I think it'd be a great place to start. But go light. Get them in something that feels light. You're going to be on soft terrain in cross country. So just to piggyback what you said. But I think the edge is too beefy. Don't you for racing short distance? I wouldn't want to race a 5K in them. For me, that shoe is like an hour longer on the trails for me. Yeah. Um, all right. Did you cover it? What's the one shoe? If you could tell them one shoe, give them one shoe. The first place I would start for me, if I had to run cross country in a non cross country shoe would be the Solomon S lab pulsar soft ground. That is my, not my new go-to trail racer. I just love it. It's so light. That would be my first stop. Otherwise something like the innovate X talon probably. I'd go Hoka Evo Jaws, which I don't know if you can get anymore. Yeah, you um, can't. And I also really like the VJ Spark. I like the VJ Spark. I think it's a great, well, it's a little heavier, but like still, I fa- it's a fast feeling shoe. That's what I would go with. For next season, obviously. Not this season because it's right. over and we're sorry about our tardiness. Ren Johnson says, have a couple of questions for the next Q&A with Bracken and Kirk. One more serious than the other. On my Nordic track X11i, when you're using the incline, it keeps track of your stats, mileage, and elevation gained. My question is, my treadmill shows in a drop-down menu vertical feet and another area elevation gained. What's the difference? Elevation gained is always uh, more than the vertical feet. Any ideas? First of all, does that? did you see this on yours? No, I think you would have to go further into the stats i don't know if you ever accidentally like swipe to the right during a workout and suddenly there's different Mm -hmm. there's a different screen there i wonder if he's talking about that i i don't know (laughs) why it would be different but i don't know a lot of why nordic track says the things they say on their screen now if you're playing with the decline it can tell you gain and loss and maybe elevation change which would be different than vertical gain Mm mm-hmm if that is tracked, which could be the loophole I could find, but I actually don't, I can't speak to this. I have no clue. I, I, I can't speak to this, you're right, at all specifically about this, but I would just remind people that when you're on a treadmill, you're not looking for accurate data, you're looking for consistent data. <clears throat> so if your treadmill said you ran a vertical mile, it doesn't matter if you can actually run a vertical mile or not. It's that that's a baseline for that effort level and everything's compared to that next time doesn't mean that you can go outside and run a vertical mile at the same speed it just means that that is your training metric so same thing with their treadmills pace and everything like that it's not to be trusted it's just to be used as a consistent measurement system yeah i agree with that um these people are just kissing your butt today brack and her second question we have more ren johnson on a less serious side have a question for bracken would he rather be recognized as robert killian or not recognized at all. <laughs> Back in 2016 at Brackenridge, I was walking to race start on a side street and was leisurely walking over and somebody power walked by me. I told him hi and gave him a hard time assuming it was Killian, but I realized later it was Bracken. Thanks for all the good content. We need to get Kirk back on race brain. It's not the same without him. Oh, Ren. So would you rather be recognized as Robert Killian or not recognized at all? Ah. Uh... I, I don't know. I would say not at all, <laughs> I guess. Um, only because 
I don't like people that much. And so I just don't have to talk to anyone at all if they don't recognize me at all. But if they, if they mm. recognize Killian as me, then I have to have that conversation. Oh, sorry. It's not me. And then they do the, Oh, yeah. Sorry. But so what are you up to? Or pretend like, yeah, you're still relevant. I'd rather just be not seen at all. And I like people. But. Let's, let's talk a little smack. Let's talk a little smack. Well, smack. What would be the biggest compliment to you? <laughs> little, the biggest compliment is somebody's like, Oh, Robert, like, it's so good to see you. What would be flattering about that? And what would be really insulting about that? There's no ins the insult is that they don't know who I am. <laughs> Flattering is that okay. I'm I look similar to a in shape world champion. <laughs> I suppose. Really, we're both bald, white, and pale. Okay. That's what it comes down to. So I'm gonna take Which not one at do you all. think's more charming? I'm way more charming. Okay. He's a he's he's a dialed are. in machine. Uh, <clears throat> I'm a flamboyant mm, podcast. He is dialed in that guy. Very flamboyant in your jacket today. Um, and you know what? I don't think I've ever addressed uh, not being on Race Brain anymore on this podcast. Um, you did right away. That I can – did I? Maybe I did. But, yeah, right um, oh, my God, very, very amicable. Um, for me, I was just – it was the lowest hanging fruit in a schedule that was very packed. And so I'd been, uh, I'd been very busy and stressed and too much work and not enough time and – Race brain was three hours on a Tuesday is what it basically turns into mm -hmm. from the time you start to the time you wrap up. And, um, and I also wasn't able to keep up on all the, like the media side of things as well as like, I mean, some of you guys, you guys are just so dialed with that. And so I was kind of in the periphery answering questions and I felt like maybe I wasn't as much of an asset and I had a bandwidth issue to be honest. And so I just talked to all the guys one to one, one on one and said, Hey, here's where my head's at. Like, I think you guys are going to be okay without me. I wouldn't necessarily call myself the lead expert analyst in this podcast. And so, uh, we had a conversation about it and that was, that was about as simple as it got. And so just opened up some time that I desperately needed back for, for clients, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think if you're the person running the podcast, however long the podcast airs for the runtime, it's doubled that in your, in your time spent doing it from preparing, getting ready, ending it, uh, editing it, posting it. It's, it's minimum of double the time. And if you're just a participant, it's a minimum 50% extra, whatever the runtime is. And that's if you don't care to be prepared. If you care to know, about the things you're about to talk about. If a race happened, you have to watch it. Mm -hmm. Not that that's like this huge yeah. hassle. It's a, it's a labor of love, but for Kirk, yep. his two and a half hour race brain episode is really three and a half hours of time. Plus however many extra races he has to watch. And he's a busy man. Well, no. And it was, um, and it was also like, you know, we record twice a week and three recordings a week is a lot. And then what I found mm -hmm. is maybe I had a little less enthusiasm by the time we got to our third recording of the week. Be like, we've recorded so much between like you. I'm very impressed that you're able to do, you know, we do a two hour interview every week and an hour, hour and a half training Tuesday. Race brain is literally three hours from start to finish. It just is by the time you get on BS wrap up. And so a lot of times like it's tough to be on in the podcast world that often for that long. And so I didn't want it to take away from me being excited about the running public, which was hands down my priority. And for mm -hmm. me, I just, it was like, it just had to go. That was it. That's simple, but you do a very good job. You're on everything all the time and you are just on point all for all of it. Oh. It's amazing. Stroke of my, you're amazing. I will say Frank. this though. I need the days in between. I don't know. 
how the people do it who have a, a daily show. At that point, it's just pure work, I think, with flashes of passion in there, where for us, it's like pure passion with flashes of work. Three days is probably my limit. The days where I go on, the weeks where I go on someone else's show or have a race to commentate, I feel like mentally exhausted by the end of the time, which is weird to Jay. I talked for six hours this week. I'm tired, but I don't know. It just, it takes something out of you and it has to be like fueled by passion. I think otherwise it's just work. It's the same as like quality sessions. I'm good for two solid quality sessions where I think my body's going to give me something good. If I try to cram more in that, the, everything's degraded, right? And then it mm -hmm. bleeds into the next week. And then pretty soon you're just a pile of crap that can't even form sentences. You know, it'd be terrible. It would just be awful. You know what, Don't Kirk? That. I revamped my off-season training plan after this race to address a few points that were obviously lacking. And I just couldn't come to terms with it. And I, after a while, you see a plan and you can just feel how it's going to start to degrade. This is going to blur into the, and they were really well thought out plans and I just couldn't make peace with it. And finally, last night I went through and deleted it and just wrote it back out as two a week, two quality sessions a week. And instantly everything felt better to me. Like I just need, just can't, I can't extend past two quality sessions a week. As soon as I do, I know things start to go off the rails. <clears throat> There you go. Chalk me up for one and a half, even. Even mm. better. I like that. Half of my long run can be quality. And then, all right. I don't know if this is a question, but it was uh, sent to us. So we'll just put it out there and then we'll move on. Uh, Jennifer Childs says, uh, suggestion for a guest, Austin Smink. He's a Canadian Paralympian in wheelchair track and just won two medals at the World Championships in Paris and was a Team Canada captain. He's on track for the Paris Olympics in 2024. We know Austin personally, and he would be happy to do a podcast with you. Thought you might find it interesting to see how a wheelchair athlete trains on the track compared to your own experience. He competes 100 meters through 800 meters. He is currently in a bit of an off-season before ramping up for next year's Olympic push. That's it. Sent to us by our Ian Floyd, our social media guy. So figured I'd get to it. That would be interesting because 800 meters that would be very interesting conversation. would be like 90 seconds. It'd so be like out of control. I imagine, imagine this is uh, just all really high-end anaerobic upper body training, which to me sounds horrendous. Anyone who's ever done a hand bike knows how bad upper body anaerobic work is, and I can't imagine that being my only form of locomotion. I'm trying to sort out, the, I think, the control piece to a wheelchair race around the track with that intensity. And if there are others in the same heat, if it's time trial format, the nuances of that would be highly entertaining to watch. I think control would be very important in this case, like ability to take the correct line, hugging the turn appropriately mm -hmm. while generating power would be like, I think I want to chat with this guy. There you go. There you go. A fit Harvey says, listening to your episode about injury forward slash doctor prescribing imaging. And I came off a pretty intense ankle injury about a year ago, and I also bullied my way to getting the proper imaging I needed. This was in reference to Jack Bauer's sort of cross-training through injury and bullying mm -hmm. your way to get in sooner than waiting. But I didn't want to spend the money for the MRI, but I wanted to know how bad it was, and so I got an ultrasound on my ankle, and they were able to confirm that I had one tendon barely hanging on for its last leg, but it wasn't a complete tear, so I didn't need surgery. However... 
Knowing exactly how bad it was helped me actually adhere to my recovery plan. The ultrasound after insurance was only 302. Just wanted to share another slightly less expensive option. Once again, there you Not go. A question, but a shit. There you go. So maybe explore, if, uh, ask for an ultrasound and see if you can discover anything there versus going right for the thousand plus dollar MRI. Adam Beach, possible Q&A question for you guys. After training for OCR for the last few years, I've recently made the cross-country team where I'm in grad school. We oh, did this one. Man. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. Cool story, though. Then huh? we don't need to... Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, really cool. Okay, so I don't need to read this one. No, but just to reiterate, Adam, how awesome is it that you just went after it, made the team after, you know, OCR was your gateway into the running world, and that's awesome. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll have to go listen back. See what you said. Um, Jack was coach related, Micklemont. Right? Uh, I already moved on. Okay. I don't have it pulled up. Uh, Jack says, hi, on the running public training plan for the 10 by three minute intervals, what sort of pace should this be at roughly? Somewhere between five to 10 K pace. Da, 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 he goes on. So let's just say, for example, 10 by three minute intervals. Very standard workout that's very effective. Mm -hmm. What sort of pace? I think we prescribed those with one minute rest, didn't we? Yep. 60 Ten by three minutes rest. with one minute recovery, I believe. Yeah. Um, so Which what would you say? What, what would be a good starting point? I get that question. Well, just let's answer it. 10 by All three right, minutes, we'll one minute rest. What would be reasonable expectations? If we look at from a race demand standpoint, let's just say 30 minutes of total work separated only by 60 seconds to the average person you would be hard-pressed to run 5K to 10K pace for that. 5K, you, it would be doable, but a really difficult workout to do 30 minutes at 5K pace. 10K would be like entry level to this. But to me, I'm looking at this more like a threshold workout. I don't know if I could do 5K pace for that workout. I would be really pressing my luck to make that many reps. It would be essentially for you 10 by 1,000 at 5K which would be, be a race. I'd have to race the end of here. Yeah, a race effort. For me, I don't think by three I could make it past 10K pace. seven or eight. If I were like be tough, right? Really, really gearing up for it. I'd start at 10K pace and most likely probably even air slower than that. Yeah. Even closer to half marathon pace. You can always tighten the screws as you go. But 5K pace would be drastically too quick. You got to look at the lump sum of work. You're working for 30 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. And only a minute break just isn't enough time to really charge up to keep the the speed up. This is you're basically in threshold for by the time your heart rate drops out of threshold, you're ramping back up into the next interval. It's a one giant threshold workout to upper end of threshold, yeah. maybe breaching towards the end. Yeah. This is not a rule of thumb, but it's a good guide. If you see a minute or less of rest, you can't go wrong with one hour race effort or one hour race pace. One minute or less, one hour race and what, pace. Yeah, and my that's a good that's a good rule. And what's the harm in starting a little too slow and tightening the screws as you go? Right. Like heaven forbid you end feeling good about yourself versus hanging on for dear life, quitting at seven reps, and then feeling like a loser. That's not going to serve anybody any purpose unless you have very specific overspeed goals. So you can um, always crank down as it goes. Yep. Ben Nelson says this could be a very dumb question. I wanted to follow up on the creatine question from Tuesday's Q&A. Is there any benefit to using it for that extra water weight going into a longer, slow ultra, like a 50 mile plus? Maybe a hotter one to help retain some water? Question mark. This was one of my first thoughts about creatine back in the day. 
as if you are a cramper and a someone who dehydrates very quickly, will the added intracellular water weight help you in that regard? I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. I I just had a conversation about creatine with one of my athletes. He's mostly hybrid focused. This was just last week. Uh, Matt Lassanol, shout out Matt. He's killing it. About to be 50 years old, jacked and fast and just killing it. Anyways, he did a little bit of experiment and he said, I'm done. I'm quitting it. I don't, the juice isn't worth the squeeze for me. I feel a little more sluggish in general. I'm up four pounds. I feel like my running's a little slower and I'm already strong enough, which was his argument. And he is, he's a very strong athlete. Um, and then I started sharing about when I was on creatine back in college, I just noticed I was I was training pretty hard. I was lifting weights and such. I retained water, of course, and I built muscle, of course, but I felt sluggish in life in general. I was sleepy tired. I had a an interesting side effect, and it was notable. I'd cycle on it, notice it happened, cycle off, would be more alert and attentive throughout the day, and I don't know what that was. And so I've never played with it again. I still gained 15 pounds of muscle after I stopped using it through like eating food and working out. Right. It still works. Mm -hmm. Like, so I don't know. I didn't feel good in the endurance realm on creatine. I think it's great for building muscle and power, but in life I didn't love it as much. So for me, I would just sodium the heck up and retain that water that way. Yeah. Drink uh, your sea salt, uh, water the couple of days leading up, just lightly sea salt and make sure you charge up on sodium and retain that water and be good to go. But, um, I don't know, I guess I'm tangenting a little bit, but I don't really have any specific creatine answer there. This would be good to have a nutritionist on who could tell us the actual pathway for where your body sources water and in what order during an endurance event, like is having extra salt and retaining water that way. Does that store it in a capacity that's easier to access during during a race than having your muscles store extra water weight? I don't really know, but I would have to assume that it's one or the other, that it either does help you and yeah, let's go for it, or it actually hurts you because it's retaining water in places that is not as easy to draw from and you actually might enhance your ability to cramp. But I can't give you one or the other. What I mm. can say is that I don't, I used creatine for the last time in probably 2021, and I just don't love the way I feel. It's a really good question. It's a cerebral question. It's one worth asking. I just don't. I would rather just eat more salt. I think that the performance benefits are mainly showed in an anaerobic, in a power <clears throat> output nature, that it can help from that. But in terms of yep. steady state output, I don't recall seeing information that it's tangibly noticeable there. And so for like high rocks or OCR, I think there would be more benefits than like just standard endurance running. But either way, it comes down to how you feel. And I don't think either of us ever felt great yep. taking creatine. Yeah, that's um, that's what I'm thinking. Um, okay, let me see if I can sift through the next one here. Um, all right. Uh, this may not be a question. Again, maybe just some feedback and you listening can take it as you will. Um, I'm just given what Ian sent to us. So, hello, gents and Bracken's wife, who I can't remember your name or the name of the guy who does the IG media. Ha ha. <laughs> he doesn't know who's getting this message clearly, which I think is amusing. I was thinking today while listening, uh, this guy's Sirhat Ozturk, by the way. Uh, I was thinking today while listening, you guys should reach out to athletes who your podcast has made a difference to. 
I know you have interviewed some of the athletes you train, but maybe someone like myself, but not saying me, but because of your podcast, I finally decided to get a coach and was one of, and it was one of your guests, Justin Hamilton. I went from never training to racing after race to actually training, starting to understand the lingo and just seeing the improvements. Um, I don't know if you have a standout on the training platform you offer. I can view data, but it would be a good way to find others. Um, anyways, he goes on, but that was his sentiment towards us. We should highlight some of our people who've been cr crushing it. What do you think about that? I like the idea of highlighting the people who are crushing it. I like the idea of talking to people who have gone from like zero to one as a runner or from one place to a higher level of training or performance, uh, Using it as just a pitch for us seems a little self-serving, but I agree it would be a good crowd to source for knowing their background before we even get into the interview. Yeah, I guess if you feel um, like your running life has changed since starting to listen to our podcast, maybe send us a message. And if it feels like a good fit to chat with you, maybe maybe we will. How we leave it at that? That opens the door for when we don't say yes, they know it's them. So send it to Kirk. Hey. Or whoever runs our social Floyd, or whoever my luck. wife is. Whoever your wife is. Um, all right. I think this is another uh, sent sentiment or message, and then we do definitely have another question after this. But uh, Julie Watkins says, uh, hi, I just wanted to thank you for the information that you put out for us everyday amateurs. I've been working through all your episodes, and every single one has something in it that makes me think about my training and myself in a different way. Ross Weimer. That's an old one. Mm-hmm. Ross Weimer going couch to ultra made me believe I could too. And I actually did. I've done two ultras now, but less than two years ago, I had never run more than a mile. Holy smokes. Ross Weimer. Let's Change hear it. Change in the him. world. And Julie. The episode with Natasha Manzel made me go get my blood done. And wouldn't you know it, I'm anemic and iron deficient. Her whole story about finding out her ferritin was low had me going, oh my God, that sounds like me. My doctor would never have checked if I hadn't pushed her for it, and I wouldn't have known if you hadn't put that story out there. Thanks to you, I'm getting treatment and can get back to ultra soon. So thank you. The information you provide is truly invaluable. I hope you're both doing well. Julie. Congrats, Julie. That's a, right in the feels, Brad. That's a dramatic turnaround. Never running a mile three years ago to two ultras? I would say so. Holy smokes. And a good reminder to get your ferritin levels checked, especially if you're female. Yeah. I don't know why you have to push so hard with doctors sometimes. Be like, well, your liver enzymes are good and your kidney function's solid and your white blood cell counts are not through the roof, so you're not fighting off anything crazy. Send you on your way. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the lowest hanging fruit. Why is this not commonplace? I don't know. Vitamin D2. All right. Kat Vorkapik says, hey, guys, Q&A or podcast topic for you. We have 60 days until Decafit Worlds. Whew, we got this one just in time. We now have six days. And I just accepted an offer to... <laughs> we have, actually, well, Friday is DecaFit, and this will come out on Tuesday, so you have three days. Hey, guys, Q&A, our podcast topic for you. We have 60 days until DecaFit Worlds, and I just accepted an offer to go to Worlds in my age group, female 40 to 44. I was not expecting this, but with the roll down in place, now I have the opportunity. So the question, what would you specifically do to train for this type of event with eight weeks notice and the week or two leading to it? I know you have answered this about OCR-related events, but DECA is a specific beast in itself. Thank you. Well, for next year. <laughs> with Let's say I had eight Dang weeks. it. It's going to be the same answer but on a that I would give for any time frame, but on a shortened schedule. 
So I would spend the first two thirds of the time working on everything in a vacuum because running is king there, but stations are also king there. And so I would work on those pieces while laying the groundwork with some metcons and circuits where they cross over. Now I'd spend the final one third of it putting them together and getting as good as possible at retaining as high a percent of what I was doing in a vacuum while compromise going back to back. So I'd probably spend, let's call it five weeks doing one and three weeks doing the other. That's what I would do with eight weeks. <clears throat> Could you give a little, like a specific workout or two? So for example, I really, really like the double threshold work for hybrid training. And so I would probably have two double threshold days per week with runs and ergs as my doubling. So I'd have a run and row workout and I'd have a run and ski and assault bike workout. And then I would have a third day where I'm really working on the station work. I'd be lifting two to three times a week on top of that, but I'd have a, basically let's say Monday, Wednesday, Friday, double threshold, double threshold, and then deck a specific station work day. And then three weeks out, I'd probably switch to two times per week and I would double up on everything. I would have all my running be compromised by stations and my stations compromised by running. And maybe I'd rethink that a little bit yeah. as I got it on paper, but probably five weeks and three. And if you really were already ahead of the game, then four and four. First four weeks, I would have a, sing a deck of focus quality session and a run focus quality session. And then one day of uh, skill work or at least machine work, rower, assault bike, things like that in there, maybe at a moderate intensity. But I would do, you know, really when you break it down, right, you can do different versions of sims in a sense, depending on the stimulus you want. You literally take the the order of DECA or high rocks or anything. And you can play with the rest periods, the durations of each station and run to suit whatever you're trying to accomplish, right? So you literally can just go start with your ram lunges. You could do a sim at a threshold intensity to start, knowing you're holding back. And you could keep that in every week. And then four weeks in, you could layer in 60 seconds rest after every station and plan to intensify everything. And then you can mix and match and play. But if you're in a really condensed timeline and you want to know what your body's going to do coming in and out of every station, you can literally take the race and then break it down however you would like. Extend runs, shorten runs, extend stations, shorten stations, add rest, take away rest. And I know I don't mean to like, that sounds complicated, but it's very simple, right? And so if you're just like, I don't even know what I'm getting into, although I know you had to qualify by racing somewhere, you can literally look at the race break it down that way, and then formula, form, formate your workouts around that. You'll find the low-hanging fruit. Then you make your second additional session each week, week, the last four weeks leading into it, focusing on what you feel like your weakest points are as your second hybrid quality session. And then go into Worlds knowing you did every, you covered your bases. And I know that's very vague and a lot of jumble, but are you following me? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, one common thread I have a lot of athletes do is uh, a split tempo. Or they do a one to two mile mm -hmm. run, deck a strong at 80% and then one to two mile run. <clears throat> and then sometimes the alternate week, it's first half of DECA at 80%, two to three mile tempo, second half of DECA at 80%. Now you're, you're just playing around with it with different levels of intensity and different types of vacuum. Um, yeah, I think it really, uh, that's beautiful. And af actually, after you mentioned this, you mentioned this a few months ago about the hybrid split tempo with pure run. I've been playing around with those workouts a bit. My athletes are like oh, yeah. enjoying them and I feel really good about the prescription. So thank you for that. Oh yeah. My pleasure. Louise Bartildez. Um, we have a creatine question. I think we got <laughs> hey. to that. 
um, theme. That's back from May, so I'm going to assume we got to that. Um, but seven weeks ago, she says, hey there, got another question for your Q&A. How much grip training should I do? Is it better oh, one, one session a week or or a oh. little bit every day? Oh, you did. Okay. Okay. Well, if you didn't hear that podcast that answered this one, too bad. Uh, you have to go back and find it. How did you pick the questions you use with Lisa? Like these, like I'm going in sequential order from what I have saved and like some you just skipped and some you it, got Everything to. I had screenshot on my phone. So anything that was sent to me personally, huh. in, like some people I think send to both accounts. And then if it just popped up on my phone in the middle of the day, I took a screenshot of it and that's what I answered. Hmm. I don't want to answer this next one, <laughs> but I'm good. We're going to answer it. Maybe it's one we did and but I Ivy had a Carter. very similar lead in when, when we read it. Let's see this. Well, no, it's about canceling the the running public training plan. <laughs> and since we get emails about this, either switching plans or canceling due to injury or whatever it is, let's just address it. Let's do it. How you switch plans or how you... He says, hello, I hate to do this because I've loved the training sessions, but I've recently had a hip injury and I'm needing to scale back big time. So I can't train anymore. Uh, how do I unsubscribe from my plan? All right. When you first sign up for the running public training plan on training peaks from our website paypal makes you pay right there and then they send you a confirmation it says congratulations and here's your receipt and then if you scroll down the email it says if you wish to cancel or modify this and then it gives you instructions that email the very first confirmation of payment email that you have that is your your instructions for how to cancel you can always cancel through your paypal um, but that uh that link right there at the bottom will take you right to how to cancel if you want to switch plans, you just message me <clears throat> and I can do that on the back end. Is that what you prefer? Otherwise, okay. they have to cancel. Yeah, we get a lot of people. And then sign up for another one, but it's the same cost and they're going to sign up with the same email anyway. And they already have their account on Training Peaks. So the easiest way is simply to tell me and then I just remove one plan and add the other on and their billing never has to be interrupted or updated. Um. So email you directly or what would be the best way yeah, if people want to switch plans? Yeah, did a lot switch from, okay, from the OCR plan to the pure run plan. Yeah. Um, in the off season, a lot of people tended to want to do that. Yeah. And that's on my end from the moment right. I get your email to the moment, like if I started right then to do that, that's a 60 second fix on my end. Canceling your plan. If I, when people are like, I can't figure it out. Can you just cancel it on the back end for me? That's more... That's more work. I have to find your original plan subscription ID, go into our PayPal business account, uh, search for that subscription ID, then cancel it and all that. So, I mean, it's it's not the end of the world, but it's simpler for you to cancel than it is for us to cancel you. But it is simpler for me to switch you to a different plan than for you to cancel and re-sign up and redo all the onboarding. And folks, I don't know if I should let this cat out of the bag, but I'm going to... Mr. Brackenstein and myself are looking at coming out with our hybrid training plan. And? Don't know how specific we're going to get, if it's going to be a DECA and or a Hyrox, or if we're going to separate the two, but we got some things in the works, guys. And Ultra. And, yes, and Ultra. So we're going to add a few uh, offerings, which we're very excited about. Um, all right, should we do two more questions? Does that seem fair? Two? Very fair. Stern but fair. All right. Matt Quinlan says, another good one, 376, I think. I think he's referring to episode 376. 
Uh, how do you know if you're a fast twitch or slow twitch person? I think I'm slow twitch, dot, dot, dot. I can run a low five minute, high four on a great day, low 70s on my 400s and low 30s on 200s. I don't know much about track speeds, but I feel like the shorter stuff should be faster based on my mile time. Do you guys have any good ways to kind of test yourself to see? The great question, actually. It is. Uh, muscle biopsy is really the only accurate way, which isn't super pleasant or I would imagine cheap or easy to set up. However, you can do the poor man's version, which is race at multiple distances and track your your trend line between the two. If your predicted races get less and less accurate as you go up or go down, then you know that most likely you are either severely underdeveloped in one area or just naturally undeveloped. So like for me, my uh, mile time or my 800 time predicts a faster mile than I have. My mile predicts a faster 5K than I have. My 5K predicts a faster 10K than I have. As I go up, my curve really drops off. Or some people are the opposite. Like their marathon time is would predict like a 420 mile but their mile is five minutes so whichever way your your graph drops off is probably indicative of your natural setup in terms of muscle fiber and cardiac skill is cardiac skill a thing really like like uh yeah i think that's a skill for he's a talented that can be that man (laughs) um you know, when you think fast twitch and slow twitch, like what events really are we talking when it comes to like racing events, let's say on the world level, what requires like more fast twitch, let's just call it, than slow twitch, like maybe 800 meters and down, maybe. 800 is the dividing line. Right? So like it's so irrelevant to anything you're probably racing to start, like true mm-hmm. fast twitch explosive mattering is not. It's not part of our equation, even if it's the mile. It's just yeah. not, I would say. I think so. What whatever, he's take that to face value. But I'll go ahead, and then I'll tell yeah. you what I think he's referring to. Oh, you go ahead. You tell me. Well, we had talked in an episode about how people with fast twitch or slow twitch muscle fibers respond differently to different stimulus. So, like, like myself, I I react very quickly to speed training but it's not sustainable long-term and it doesn't make me better at distance. It makes me better at that speed. We're doing longer, slower, grindier intervals works on the weekend of my equation. So I get better at it, not as fast, but I can improve for a long time. And it makes me better at all things where doing fast twitch stuff supports my natural skill set, but doesn't round out my equation at all. And so finding out which type of athlete I had talked about kids in college who the 10K guys, their speed work was like 20 by 200 on the track, a 200-meter jog, and they're ready to rip a 3K. <laughs> and they're running it at 3K race pace, where I was looking at that saying, if I ran 3K mm-hmm. race pace for 200 meters, that would be a joke of a workout, but these guys would dust me in a 3K. Like I don't understand how that sharpens you up. That would make me slower. But it was a great example of Mm -hmm. I would need to do 40 by 200 at 3K or 10 by 200 at like mile or 800 meter race pace. So what our natural skill set is sometimes can drive how we do our interval training. I think that's probably what Matt was referring to. I think just, yeah, uh, predicted race generators. Like what is it? The VDOT calculator and some others like 
if you have a mile time trial, you have a 5K time trial, and heck, maybe even if you can squeeze in in the off-season a 10K time trial, then start plugging them in and see what adds up and what doesn't. But I agree. If you're more of a fast switch athlete, uh, focusing on longer grindy sessions will probably move your needle more. And if you feel like you are more of a slow twitch athlete, then focusing a little bit more on high output, a little faster turnover stuff might move your needle more. But always threshold, no matter what camp you're in, right, Bracken? Always threshold. But yeah, that, that idea of the calculator, go to the VO2 max calculator, put in your one mile result, and then take a screenshot of all your race predictions, put in your 5k, see your race predictions, put in your 10k, or if you've raced a marathon, mm -hmm. put that in and see your race predictions, and then see what is not like the others. Which one predicts faster or slower yep. than it should? And that'll tell you. We're going out on a shoe question. <clears throat> oh. Mark Martinez. And with a bang for Q and a series, I've ex, uh, Exclusive worn Vibram five fingers for the past 10 years of running. No injuries or discomfort ever. I ran my first marathon this year in the V run model as an extra measure of challenge. I've been wary to try other shoes because the Vibrams have been working for me. Do you have a recommendation on a shoe I could try next that might give me a boost for my next marathon? Thanks in advance. I owe my first marathon completion in large part to the wisdom you share weekly on the running public. Keep up the great work. So here is why people's personal advice on anything doesn't matter because I am pretty outspoken against pushing people towards barefoot or minimal shoes. And yet it yeah. works for some people. So I like when I say it works for someone, we don't ever know how well it's working, but the fact is that he got there healthy and completed it. I would not. So it worked better for him than it would for me because I could not run any sort of volume in five finger shoes. On cement, a marathon? Yeah. Oh my God, I'd be ruined. The training to get there would have me ruined. What we don't know so is did he run this marathon and do well because of the shoes or despite them? And I would say there's almost a 0% chance that you will hit your fastest time in any race other than maybe, maybe a sprint in five finger shoes. Uh, some people will be healthier in them because it forces them to run slower and run lighter and run softer. Um, but there's absolutely free speed waiting on the table for you in almost, almost any other pair of shoes, but where to start, I would start with something a little wider and a little softer and see what that feels like. Topo might be a good place to start. The newer ultra shoes really aren't bad. You could start there. Uh, outside of that, anything is going to feel like a night and day difference. And I don't know if you want that or not. Yeah, I'd recommend your first uh, transition be to an, another zero drop, so to speak, which a five finger would be, but gives you more shoes. So I think Topo would probably be the the closest progression. And then from there would be the ultras, where I think is where you're really going to start gaining your free speed. If you get in a pair of ultras, you know, and they do have super shoes now if, if you end up getting into that realm. But a lightweight pair of ultras, one of the, what they would consider their racers or lightweight trainer, I think would be the first step. And if you find you respond positively to that, that can be your gateway shoe to exploring more options. But I think transitioning to a zero drop shoe of another brand would be a fantastic option. I would say ultra would be a true 
change because topo can be almost like foot to ground contact with very minimal stack height a lot of them correct that's how they started but they have legit shoes in fact they are a lot of them are like one to three or one to four mil drop now and they have their own super foam and oh. they're a little narrower mm -hmm. than ultra they're running their performance line at least topo still has their traditional hippie topo topo stuff but like they have yep. a performance line and i would actually think that that would be the bridge between ultra and the rest of the world but starting with like an Escalante, an Ultra Escalante racer would probably be your first step. But the the, the issue with yep. zero drop is that as you add cushion to it, it becomes negative drop. Because in Vibram mm. Five Finger or Barefoot, when your heel hits the ground, it stops. And you can't really hit the ground with any force. When you get into any amount of cushion with zero drop, your heel hits and goes in a little bit, which now puts you at a negative drop, which just accentuates the stress on your Achilles and your rear chain. And so one of the safest ways, which is counterintuitive to people who are all about barefoot running, to stay safe transitioning out of barefoot running is to go to a slight drop. So putting a heel wedge in an ultra or starting with a thinner, firmer ultra um, or making sure that you're just um, like uh, really, really good at midfoot strike, which you probably are. So I'd start with an Escalante racer and then maybe mm -hmm. go up to a topo from there. But be <clears throat> careful with getting too much cushion with zero drop because it turns negative drop really quickly. It's mm, a good point. Um, all right, we did it. We did it, Bracken. And I think looking ahead, we have enough questions for one more episode. At the moment. Um, so maybe people wedge a few more in there. We'll have enough or two. But as I'm looking at it, we have, let me tell you here. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven questions left, which I think we can bang out in one episode. So that's what's sure awaiting in queue. And then we moment. start looking at episode 400. We got to start coming up with what we're going to do special for 400. For a four-year, what would that be? Yes, we do. Four-year anniversary is coming up. I don't think they're going to be on the same day, unfortunately. Um, what uh, what number are we at now? I think three eighty-six. Yeah, we got to do that one with a bang. That's a big one. You looking right now? Yeah, I want to. I want to know for sure what number we're on. I see three eighty-five. This will be three eighty-six. Yep. Look at that. Three eighty-six as of this drop. Wow. I'm very decent right. at counting well, my ones. <laughs> that's a lot to count all the way up to almost 400 um anything you want to close with we had some nice messages sent and comments after our thanksgiving episode where we kind of got emotional towards the end and said thanks everyone for listening and supporting and we got I, I got some nice messages i'm sure you did and then we had some nice comments on on the episode mm -hmm. itself so again thank you guys for being you yeah we got soft we got soft bracken but it came from the heart the very one of the very best parts of any week in my life is when someone takes the time to write a message and says, hey, I just want to thank you for blank. This is what I was doing, and now this is what I am doing. And a big part of it was listening to the podcast. And that just mm -hmm. really, really – not that we are looking for things to make it all worth it because simply doing this is worth it to us. But it really, really makes it easy to keep moving forward when we get those messages. Yeah, it sure does. All right, guys. Well, thank you. And uh, you'll have to keep your eyes peeled here in the future for these uh, new running public training plans that are going to end up dropping. But we're going to hold you in suspense for the time being. And um, we have another good one lined up for Friday. So hang tight. See you next time.